Turn with me to the first chapter of the book of John. John chapter 1. I will tell you that the best way to a short sermon is to pray for the preacher. Pray for the preacher today. Last week I spoke a little bit about how God has told us He loved us in giving His Son for us and uh, talked about Him giving His Son, how His Son came to the earth, and uh, that Jesus having been being given meant that He has always been. And I want to look at that a little bit further today and the reality that our Savior is an eternal one. Jesus Christ is eternal. He has always been, and He always will be. And so as we look at this today, we... We know the importance of, of beginnings, right? We, we see things, we celebrate the occasions where we can mark the start of something, and I think that's why we're naturally drawn to Christmas, right? It is when Christ took on flesh, it was when Jesus was born, it's the, 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 the closest thing we have in Scriptures to the, the beginning account of, of when Jesus came. And it's good, we, we mark first in life, don't we? First steps and first words and first days of school and we go on and we talk about first dates and first jobs. We, we mark firsts and we celebrate them. We mark the beginning of things. We're coming up on the new year and we'll mark a beginning when we start a new year. Some of you might start new things to try to accomplish in the year. You might start new diets as is so popular at the first of the year and you'll mark that beginning. I hope some of you might purpose in your hearts to read through the Bible in a year and you'll mark the beginning where you might start that effort. We mark beginnings. Yet we see in the Scriptures that when we would go to look for the beginning of God, it's not there. If you go and you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the first thing that you are going to see is, in the beginning, God. Moses is writing and he begins to record all of recorded history and it begins with the assumption that God already was. Isn't that cool? It says, in the beginning, God. And it goes on and it talks about how He created the heavens and the earth and created all the things here, but God already was. There's no origin story of God because how could there be? He's eternal. He's always been and He always will be. And I know that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around because how can we we who are finite, we have a beginning, the day that we were born, and we'll have a day that we, we die where we're finite. So how can we who are finite here in this capacity of mind, how can we wrap our minds around the things that are infinite? We can't do it. And so it's hard for us to, to reason and to reckon with eternity. I can't adequately explain it to you, but what I can do is what the Scriptures does. When what the Bible does is it declares that God has always been. And it takes no matter of time or effort to try to reason as to how God has always been. It just starts and it says, in the beginning, God. It makes no effort at an origin story. (laughs) All due respect to all the superhero movies that are popular today that go through the origin stories of these superheroes, God does not require an origin story. He declares His existence. He declares that He is eternal. And He shows evidence of who He is by all the things that He has created, has done, and is continuing to do. 
the Bible declares the eternal existence of God. Amen. Isn't that awesome? We serve an eternal God. And here what we're going to read in the first chapter of the book of John, it begins the same way that Moses' book of beginnings does. It begins the same way that the book of Genesis does. And it says in the beginning, read with me in John chapter 1 at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, though, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only, excuse me, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was born before me. We're going to get back to that in a second. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. We'll stop there at verses 1 through 18 of the first chapter of the book of John. And I wish to declare to you today about the eternal, eternal nature of Jesus Christ. About the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. We saw a few things here that tell us about the nature of Jesus. We saw first about that he was with God in the beginning. Now, if Jesus was with God in the beginning, then that tells us there must be something about Jesus that predates the beginning. Remember what I said about the book of Genesis, about how it begins with in the beginning God? And that's where it starts and it marks all of recorded history. That it starts with the evidence that God, or with the declaration that God created the heavens and the earth. And here we are reading that Jesus was with God before creation. That meant that there was something there, some evidence there, that Jesus existed before the beginning. Did you see that? Jesus was with God the Father in creation. In fact, John goes on and says that without Him was there nothing made that was made, that all things have been made through and by Jesus Christ. And when we see that evidence, we see and we know of how it was that, that 
Jesus was with God and it was with God in the creation of all things, we see also, if we went on into Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we see also that the Holy Spirit was evidenced in the creation. We have a triune God. You guys know what that means? But there's a trinity. There's God, one God, three offices that are served in our one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. The Father being God the Father, the Son being Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that is continuing to be with us today, that comforter that we have, that, that maybe even this morning you've already felt passed by this place. We have a triune God in these three offices in which He exists. And I want you to know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three were evidenced in the creation of the world. They were all there. And they were all there because they have all always been. We have an eternal Father. We have an eternal Savior in Jesus Christ. We have an eternal Comforter in the Holy Spirit. I am declaring to you today that Jesus Christ is God and that God is eternal. You say, well, Derek, how can you make such a declaration? And I'm going to tell you what I learned when I was a little child when I first learned about how Jesus loved me. And you know how I learned about how Jesus loved me? I learned this, for the Bible tells me so. If anybody asks you, how do you know that Jesus Christ is eternal? The Bible declares it. The Bible does not wrestle with an origin story about God. It does not wrestle with an origin story about Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. But it declares that they are eternal. Have you ever heard somebody ask about God? They will say something like this, where did God come from? You ever heard somebody say that? That's, that's a fair enough question, isn't it? In fact, you probably may have asked it for yourself when you were younger about where did God come from. It's, it's a worthwhile question. We know that everything that we can understand, it has a beginning, doesn't it? You can ask where I came from. Well, I was born on November 21st, 1986 over here at Johnson Memorial Hospital. I can tell you where I came from. I came from right over there. I can tell you where my children came from. I can tell you a little bit about some of you that have been born since I've known you. Or I guess I've always known you if that's the case. But I can tell you about where you come from. God has always been. There's no origin story. There's no place where we can go and we can begin and say, well, here's where God began. He has always been. John declares that Jesus has always been. And he remarks a few things about the character of Christ. And he says that all things came into being through Him. He says that He was with God in the beginning and that all things came into being through Him and apart from Him has nothing came into being that exists. All things that can declare and reflect that Jesus Christ is eternal. We do. You ask, how do we reflect the eternal existence of Jesus Christ? Here in a couple of weeks, actually in 13 days, many of you, like, like I will, will, will celebrate and mark the day of Christmas. What are we marking there? We are marking how it is that an eternal God took on flesh. And if the eternal God took on flesh, the question is, what did He look like? And I'm not talking what He looked like in terms of the color of His hair or if He had a beard or, or all of these certain things. I'm asking you, what did He look like? The best that I can understand, 
when Jesus was born and He was placed in that manger over there in Bethlehem, He looked about like every one of us in our baby pictures. He took on flesh. He came as one of us. He didn't come into some supernatural existence where He was something that was separate from flesh. He took on flesh. He became as one of us. He came and He experienced the full reality of what it is to be human in the flesh. The Scriptures tell us this about how He was always tempted like we are. He experienced disappointment. Brother Marian said this one time, that old union. He said that Jesus never experienced being surprised. I don't guess He would have, would He? He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. But He experienced all those range of human emotions that we experience. You've been sad. Jesus experienced sadness. Haven't you read that Jesus wept? He experienced grief. He lost loved ones. He experienced heartache, loneliness, disappointment, frustration. He endured trials and tragedies. He also knew enjoyment. He also knew fun. He also knew what it was to laugh. He also knew what it was to to do like so many of us did in Sunday school today when we looked at Xavier trying to lift up Sister Becky's Bible case and he couldn't quite even make it off the ground. We can all kind of look at him and grin. He knew what it was to know enjoyment. He knew what it was to know good things in life like he endured bad things. What I'm trying to say is whatever you have experienced, Jesus has experienced it too. Isn't that amazing? Our eternal God took on flesh and walked through life as a man. And He knew all the things that is common to the human existence. We do not have a high priest that can't relate to us. We have one that can relate to us. That knows all about the things that we are dealing with in life. And He can help us. And the reason why He can help us is because of that eternal nature. He continues today and He will continue throughout all eternity. Jesus Christ is eternal. You hear me? And that for us allows our promise and our hope of salvation to be assured. Why? Because it is rooted and it is firmly established in eternity. My hope of salvation is not being clung to anything that is temporary. My hope of salvation is clinging to the things that are eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John goes on and he elaborates on this light that shone in darkness, how the darkness did not comprehend it. And as he was talking about these things, the darkness did not comprehend it. He came and he talked about one who was a forerunner to Jesus. And he was talking about John the Baptist. About how John the Baptist came to prepare that way. Now I want to tell you a little bit about John the Baptist. We see John the Baptist often evidenced during the time that we would read the Christmas account over there in the book of Luke or over there in the book of Mark. John the Baptist was Jesus' kinfolk. He was his cousin. We know this because their moms... We're related. And we see that Elizabeth, 
Mary's cousin, was expecting she was pregnant with John about six months ahead of when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And so John was just a little bit older than Jesus, and he had came to prepare the way, came to announce that this light was coming, that this light would be born and take on flesh, that he would shine bright, that he would be in the world. Listen to verse, verse 10 here. That he was in the world, and the world that was made by him, yet the world did not know him. So that he came to his own. We read how Jesus came into Nazareth and he owned his own, his own countrymen. Didn't know who he was. I'm going to tell you about that in a little bit more detail here in a second. So they didn't receive him. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We talked a little bit about that last week. And he went on a little further here as John was recording. He tells us about John the Baptist. And he says that John bare witness of Jesus, crying, This was he of whom I spake. He that came after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now the question is, how can that be so? Listen, John was a forerunner of Jesus. He came to declare that Jesus Christ would be coming. That the kingdom of God was at hand. He was preaching in the wilderness saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And at once we read about how Jesus came to John to be baptized. And He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was. He knew who was coming after him. And so he said, this is who I declare unto you. And he is preferred above me. In fact, John the Baptist went so far over, I believe it is in the book of Luke, or maybe it's the book of Matthew, rather, to say that he wasn't even so worthy as to bend down and latch up his sandal. He said, he who comes after me is preferred above me. And he told us why. He said, he is preferred before me because he was before me. Now, I just told you that John the Baptist was older than Jesus. How can that be so? Except that Jesus Christ has always been. Isn't that wonderful? We can celebrate Christmas. We can mark it as, as, a, as a holiday that's different than all the others. You know why? Because that is when eternity took on mortality. It is when that which was immortal took on flesh. That it could live and it could go through this life tempted like we are going through all the range of the human experience as we do. Yet live perfectly and righteously for us. When you mark Christmas, can you do me a favor? Oh, I'm going to make some of you mad with what I'm about to say. But, but I mean it. I want you to do me a favor. Oh, I'm going to get ran out of here. If you sing happy birthday to Jesus, I want you to know Jesus has always been. I guess you can sing happy coming to earth day, Jesus, but he's always been. <laughs> you can sing happy birthday to me because I haven't always been. In fact, we might sing happy birthday to some of you later on because we have that beginning, don't we? But Jesus is eternal. When we celebrate his coming, when we celebrate His arrival, we're celebrating that God took on flesh. You see the difference? I want to make sure you see this. 
Because what the world has done with Christmas is it's watered it down. It's taken it to have all these other applications. Listen to me. It is good for us to mark and for us to honor and celebrate and praise God that Christ came. It is good for us to mark and to honor that God took on flesh because if He never did, we would be hopeless without that sacrifice that was made for us. If God had never showed His love for us and giving His only begotten Son that we could believe in Him and have eternal life, we would be without hope in this life. So it is good, it is right for us to mark it, but let us lift up our hearts in praise of the Lord for what He has done. Let us praise God for the sacrifice and for the giving of His Son. I've done offended about half of you, I can tell. That's alright. But I want you to know that Jesus is eternal. I want your kids to know that Jesus is eternal. Why? Because I want them to trust Him as their Savior. You can trust Jesus as your Savior because of that immutable characteristic about Him. That He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I guess I'm spoiling the Christmas play is what I'm doing. But He's eternal. I want you to know that. Jesus Christ is eternal. He took on flesh, but He didn't come into existence on Christmas Day in Bethlehem. He has always been. He has always been. The Word took on flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Now I need to tell you a couple of things. I've already preached longer than I meant to. Well, let me tell you just a couple of things about how the Scriptures deal with this, this aspect, this, this, this great realization that Jesus Christ is eternal. Number one, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is, is evidence. It is, it is evidence in the Old Testament that before Jesus Christ ever took on flesh, that He was. That He existed. We can read through the Old Testament and we can see all of what we refer to sometimes as the types and the shadows of Jesus. And we go through a great big long list of them. In fact, we've, we've gone through a lot of them at different points in Bible studies. At different times when we've studied through Scriptures, we've seen those types and shadows in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. In fact, the New Testament provides us the realization, the understanding that those things were types and shadows. The book of Hebrews, for example, it tells us, and we just went through the book of Hebrews not too long ago in Sunday school, and it reveals to us all of these different aspects and things that happen in the Old Testament and how they give us evidence of Jesus Christ. We read about Abraham, how he offered up his son Isaac. It was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. We read about Joseph, a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. We read about Solomon. We can keep going through all of these examples. We can read about Moses when he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And as Jesus Christ Himself referred to that, and said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We see time and time again these types and shadows in the Old Testament that pointed to even before Jesus Christ took on flesh, He's always been. In fact, there's different examples in the Old Testament of what are oftentimes referred to as theophanies. And different people have different views about some of these things, but these theophanies, big $5 word, you don't necessarily need to know it, but what they're talking about is different times in the Scriptures where it appears that Jesus Christ showed up on the scene before He ever took on flesh. 
Haven't you heard about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? When they were thrown into that fiery furnace there in Babylon, and one came back and gave word that they looked into that fiery furnace and they saw four people in there. They threw three of them in there. They were tied up and bound. They looked and there was four in there and they were all no longer tied up, but they were walking around in the fiery furnace. They weren't consumed. They came out. Their hair wasn't singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the three. Who was the fourth? The only revelation we're given about that fourth was that it was likened to the Son of Man. For some reason, I think with pretty good evidence, that it was the pre-incarnate Christ. Time and time again in the Old Testament, we see the evidence that Jesus is eternal. Not only so, but hundreds of times. I mean it, it's hundreds. I, I can't give you an exact number. All I know is that it's in the hundreds. We see prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know He fulfilled every jot and tittle of both the law and the prophets. Every bit of it He accomplished in His life. We can just read about His his birth. And we can see the evidence of His coming. About how He would come from Bethlehem. About the nature of how He would be born of a virgin. We can read all of the evidence about who Jesus was. About His life. About His nature. About His coming. About His character in the Old Testament before He ever took on flesh. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is eternal. He has always been. In fact, I want to close, I'll close with this. Turn me over to the book of Luke. Third chapter. Fourth chapter. Fourth chapter of the book of Luke. Jesus, he, he's, he's been born obviously. He's been baptized. And now we see after He's been baptized, He's taken up uh, into the wilderness for some 40 days and He's tempted there. And He's finished with His, with his temptation and he comes to his hometown. You probably would too. You've been in the wilderness for 40 days and you come home. He's in Nazareth. He's with people that he knows. He's with people that know him. And it's the Sabbath. Saturday. At this point in time. So what does he do? He does like he's always done. And he goes up to the synagogue. And he goes to the synagogue... And he stands up to read. And the minister brings him the book to read. And it's from the book of Isaiah. I reckon it was probably in scroll form. And he takes that book of Isaiah and he opens it up. This is Jesus doing this. And he finds the place that he's going to read. And it wouldn't have been called this then, but what we call it now would be Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath appointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. (laughs) Jesus did all those things, didn't He? Yeah, He did. He's still doing all those things. Jesus reads those two verses. He closes up the book and gives it to the attendant who was serving there in the synagogue. He takes, he walks over, he sits down, and all the eyes, Scripture tells us, are fastened to him. <laughs> Can't you imagine? Jesus had just read for himself the prophecy 
of who he was. Oh, and it must have been evidence to the people who were watching him. He was teaching as a master. He went and he took a seat like a teacher would. But there was something unique about how Jesus had read these words. So all eyes in the synagogue, Scripture tells us, were fastened to him. <clears throat> and he said this. This is all he said. He said, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. <laughs> he said, here I am. The one that Isaiah spoke of. He has read to you these words. I am here. It goes on. It says, And all bear him witness and wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? It was Joseph's son, all right. <laughs> But it was the only begotten of the Father, filled with grace and with truth, and eternal in his character. The one who Isaiah spoke of. You're looking at me and you're saying, Why does all of this matter? Why is it so important to declare that Jesus Christ is eternal? If we have a hope of heaven, it is reliant on the fact that Jesus Christ today is standing at the right hand of God the Father. One of those types and shadows in the Old Testament of who Jesus was is the veil. You see, back in the Old Testament, God was contented to exist with the people in a tent. And He existed on the innermost part of this tent in the place, place called the Holiest of Holies. It was the place where God dwelt. And it was separated from the rest of the tabernacle, from the rest of this tent that they had, had set up, it was, or that God had, had told them how to set up. And it was separated by a veil, by a curtain. And only so often could the high priest go into that holiest of holies to make atonement for the people. It was where God had set Himself apart. And the people could not come into there. It was separated. By this veil. Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews tells us, is now the veil. But here's the difference about this veil. Is that all those that trust in Jesus, they can have full passage through the veil. We have access to the holiest of holies. We have access to God the Father through the Son. We pray. We can talk to God because of Jesus. I'm saved today because God heard my prayer, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. I'm saved today because of the merits of His Son, not only in how He lived, but also in that He was resurrected on the third day. And in being resurrected on the third day, for some 40 days, He came amongst men again and again. He appeared to His disciples. He appeared to hundreds of people, revealing and declaring with certainty that He resurrected from the dead. And then on the 40th day after that, do you know what He did? He ascended on a cloud to the right hand of God the Father. And that's where Jesus is right now. And He's remained there ever since. And you know what He's doing there? 
He is making intercession for me and you that again and time and time again we can come into the holiest of holies. We can have a relationship with God. Listen to me. The reality that Jesus Christ is eternal gives us a hope of heaven and that we can be reconciled unto God and not only so, but that we can have fellowship with Him. This is not... This might be a, a, an elementary doctrine a base doctrine in this this fact that all of us know that God is eternal. But just because it's a base doctrine, a principal doctrine, an elementary doctrine, does not mean it's not an important doctrine. And I want you to know that not only is Jesus eternal looking ahead, but He's eternal looking back to Jesus Christ is eternal. I thank you for listening to me. And God bless His message. I hope that changes a little bit about the significance of Christmas for you. <laughs> you know, there's a picture that hangs up. I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep going. Let me just say this. There's a picture that hangs up on my wall in my office at home. And it's something, I may have told you guys about it before. It's the first time that I got to, to see Maverick after he was born. They had to do some stuff with him. They got him done. They said I could come over and I could, could reach out and I could touch him. And so it's the first time that, that he held my hand. He's, he's holding my little finger and you see a teardrop dripping down my nose. And it's precious, isn't it? The first time that we see a little baby. And we look at that baby. And that baby looks up at us. That maybe gets a little bit older and you'll see how it just studies everything about your face as it's seeing you for the first time. I want you to think about Mary for a minute. <laughs> She's looking at her son. Joseph's there and they're looking at his son. They're ooing and gawing just like new parents would do. Jesus looked back up at them and He saw who He had saw before. He's always been. <laughs> no baby like this has ever been born. Jesus Christ is eternal. I hope He's your eternal Savior. And if not, I can recommend Him to you. Something on your heart.